you know, when you when you talk about how it reads, it reads personal, uh, because God has become very personal to me. Um, in 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 many hard instant cir- circumstances, and I tried to take some of the most important lessons that I learned, search the Scripture, know who Jesus is, uh, who and how I wanted to express those lessons that I learned. Now you're not going to really hear much about those lessons because the book isn't about me. The book is about Christ and who He is and. And, and it's a character study. And that character study is what ha- has come across to me in, in the trials. I mean, you know, we can say, you know, God loves everybody, and we can write poems like Footprints in the Sand and, and all of this stuff. Um, but when it really gets down to a, at a personal level, you know, does Jesus really love me? Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. This is That They Might Know, a podcast with Gregory Treat and Joe Durso. Today, we're going to interview Joe Durso. He's an author, a husband, a disciple maker, and a, and a, a, a follower of Jesus Christ. He is committed to the true biblical church, and he wrote a book called The Jesus You Need to Know, which contains a, a wonderful picture A character study, Joe says, a character study of Jesus Christ. And I tell you, folks, that is great information and it's a wonderful presentation. So we're going to today we're going to talk about all of the the ways that Joe got to where he is now and kind of how he wrote this book. And then we're going to talk a little bit about its implications and and why people that are concerned about the church, that are concerned about the faith, should read this book, should share this book, how it can be of benefit to the body. So let's get started. Good morning, everybody. So, Joe, you wrote a book called The Jesus You Need to know. Tell us a little bit about that, about kind of the, that book and, and where, where that came from in your heart. Well, that's a great question. Um, and as I told a rep from um, Westboro Press, um, I said to him, he asked me, why did you write this book? And I said, I wrote this book because 2,000 years ago, uh, man, Jesus Christ, died for me. And that really has become a motivation in my spiritual walk and my life as uh, usually things come down to, you know, am I pleasing him? Am I working for him? Am I obeying his commands? And I believe that he set it on my heart to spend time focusing on the character and nature of Jesus Christ and to use it to tell people uh, something more about him, uh, who he is, why he did what he did. And I just wanted to get a, a view that I haven't really read much about. That's the basic idea. So you haven't really read much about this view. 
You know, I mean, I think that that's some people would find that amazing. I mean, you go into Christian bookstores and there are just loads and loads and loads of books with Christ on the cover, with you know, all the kind of paraphernalia of Christianity right there in your face and I mean and, and even filtering out the, 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 the obvious foolishness of you know, the, the best life now type of books, which, which somehow still make it into uh, Christian bookstores, there's still, even after filtering out the, the, the kind of the, the obvious trash, there's still a lot of books out there. But you're saying you haven't read much about this perspective. You know, recently I, I watched a movie, and it was a story about a man who came up with the idea for intermittent windshield wipers. And long court battle, you know, naturally they stole the idea from him. And one of the last scenes in the courtroom, he, he gets the book. Um, it was the, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. What was the name of that novel? And, uh, he, he, he restarts reading it. Very famous novel. Most people know it. And as he's reading it, he, he starts asking them, is this word common? You know, it, was the, you know, all these words are all common. The thing that made the book distinct was the arrangement of the words, which he was comparing to the, the, the electric and how it all worked with the, with the windshield wiper. And, and so that's what made it unique. And so it's like that with, with books. It's like that about the story of Jesus Christ. I mean, why are there so many? Because there are so many vantage points of looking at Christ. So you take a story and you talk about the story, the events, what happened. And then there's the arrangement of a whole host of things, like the fact that he was born of a virgin mother. And you know, one of the chapters there, and I talk about that and his relationship to his mother and his motivations there and his character and how he interacted with her and what it meant to her and what it meant to him. And, and so it's, it's really the arrangement of Christ, who he is, and why especially, why he did what he did as a man, as the Son of God. Yeah, I'm not sure. If you know, in the first chapter of the Jesus you need to know, you tell a very interesting story that I, I, I'd like to to read. What it means to know Jesus. This is from chapter one. When I was in school, my neighbor Smitty introduced me to Fred when he came to visit. They had been in school together and were the best of friends. Smitty did not waste time in describing Fred as a first class practical joker. He was the kind of person who could be expected to place a pail of water over a door to douse the one entering. No prank was too elaborate or too small for Fred to pull. Fred had had a good friend named George when he'd attended school about 15 years earlier. George was a very large, good-natured, and kind man. One day, Fred saw his friend George walking down the street, and of course he decided to play a little prank. So he snuck up on him from behind and gave him a huge slap on the back, which he was accustomed to doing. Normally, after sneaking up on George, he would laugh himself silly to see a big man like George get so frazzled. But when the man turned around this time, it wasn't George. This very large man looked down at Fred with a gruesome scowl on his face and said, I don't know you. Fred looked up at the man and replied, 
I don't know you either. After a pregnant pause, Fred explained the mix-up and expressed his sorrow for the slap on his back. The very large man understood the mistaken identity and could see Fred's sincerity, accepted his apology, and went on his way. Fred went directly home, entered his house, closed the door behind him, leaned back on it, and said, I will never do that again. The day is coming when multitudes of people, while standing on the very brink of eternity, will stand before the eternal Son of God and hear him say to them, I never knew you. And at last, they will have to reluctantly confess, I don't know you either. However, in their desperation to justify themselves, they will squeak out, But we prophesied in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name we did many wonderful works. Some, at long last, will come to realize the undeniable truth that they had not done these things in Jesus' name at all, that they had only deceived themselves. Now, in some ways, that's a, that's a story of why you should repent and believe and why, you know, people would say this is why you should come into the church. But as you and I have talked about the book and your motivation for writing it, I, I've sensed a deep concern in you that for many, just coming into the church or, or what they think is coming into the church is not what they think it is. That at the end of the day, there are many, many people who, if, if push came to shove, would have to look at Christ and say, yeah, I don't know you either. How did you come to that? That I mean, is that an accurate statement of, of what you what you feel and what you've experienced as, as someone that's been in church for many, many years? And, and how did you come to that realization? Well, yeah, that's a very much an accurate statement. Um, about what I feel and what I've experienced. Um, you know, I watched an evangelist on TV back in the 60s, the late 60s, 67 actually, and I came to a saving knowledge of Christ. My sins weighed heavy on my shoulder. I got up from the couch I was sitting, went into my bedroom and just cried out, God help me. And in that moment, God was there and saved my soul. But the evangelist, who I loved dearly as a man of God, would never mention anything about church. He would just at the end say, and go to church. And so the church that I was in, I went to. And it was formal. It was a high church, so to speak. It was, the, the pastorate um, was far removed from the members. I mean, I didn't ever have a, a relationship at all with any of them. And uh, I don't think most people did. You go, went in, you went to the service. And when I was a kid, I mean, you didn't even hear it in English. And so it was just, it was complete formalism. And uh, it didn't do anything for my soul. And reading the Bible wasn't even something they say, yeah, read your Bible. I mean, it was just, it was just form. And I went six years like that until uh, I grew up, basically. And when I grew up, I got into some sin, and I couldn't live with myself. I mean, the Holy Spirit was residing inside, and he wasn't about to allow a true child of God to go on in continual sin. And so I, I felt bad, and I went to that same organization from the, that the man spoke, and I, I, I need help. 
and they sent me to a church in Manhattan that was a true church. And you know, whether it's a true church or a false church, um, people can be outside the faith thinking they're in. I don't want to say that everyone in certain churches are in. It doesn't work that way either. Um, but it is important that a person be connected with a healthy, good, gospel-preaching church where there's the elements, at least, of what there should be uh, for, a, for a Christian who wants to grow in the faith. Yeah, in, your, in the first chapter of you, your book, you describe, you spend some time describing your relationship with your wife and the things you've experienced, the joys, the pains, raising children, finances, the whole bit. <clears throat> and you, you, know, you talk about that the relationship with Christ should be one that's marked by the same kind of intimacy that you know you, that there's that classic explication of of intimacy intimacy is into me you see right and obviously as the omnipotent god christ sees all the way into us there there's there's nothing hidden from his sight as it says right but i think there's a a, a lack of expectation in many people, that they can or should or should strive to see back into God, to 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 know Christ in a in a way that affects their their decision making in the same sort of way that your relationship with your wife affects your decision making, affects who you are as a person, right? Because I mean, you know, I'm I'm I've been married for five six years now. And you've been married, I think, for over 40 years. I mean, I'm already at the point where my wife is such an important relationship to me. I've learned so much. I've thought so much about who I am and where I'm going and all these kinds of things in talking with her and being with her. Um, and that should be the kind of thing that marks our relationship with Christ, I think, is, is basically what you're saying, that... The, 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 the times you have in prayer, the times you have in, in the word should be relational times that change you, that, that, that make you who you are, that sustain you in the hard times. And I think that if we were to, to present that kind of in the abstract, that we would get a resounding amen and a belief from many in kind of the conservative churches in America, that that was exactly what they were doing and that was exactly what they were preaching. So I think one of the questions that, that comes to mind is, why is this book a, a necessary thing in, in, a, in a day where we have lots of good preaching? We, you know, the, the, the internet has given us access to the best preachers in, in the world, and you know people can learn more about the scriptures more easily more cheaply than ever before in human history but you're saying that that's that's not the kind of knowledge that we should be seeking after right so what what is the right the right way to think about it and what are we missing great questions greg appreciate that um you know there is a a very huge difference between what I'm going to call a term um, mere intellectual knowledge. 
Um, uh, you know, I've, you can read about people. Uh, you can read about George Washington. And you can find out, you know, where he was born, that he eventually lived in Mount Vernon, and he became president of the United States, and he was a general during the Revolutionary War, and so on and so forth. But after you're done, and you have all of these facts about George Washington, you sit back and ask yourself, do I know George Washington? Have you ever looked into his eyes? Have you ever seen the way he reacted to his wife? Uh, did you did you personally get his feelings expressing who he what his childhood was like you know how what he thought about his mother you know just intimate stuff you you may get some fa- those facts in a his by a historical account but it's not like being there talking to the man interacting getting help counsel you know all of the things that go on between two friends who know each other and care about each other. No matter how many facts you have about George Washington, if you don't hear him say, I love you, <laughs> you know, he, 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 there's something lacking. And, you know, one of the things that some in some countries they view as very high is how a man prays. You know, you can go through the form of prayer. I'm having my, my quiet time now, which a lot of people don't do. Uh, anyway, but you know you can you can do that, and you can go through the form of it, and never really pray, never really talk to God, never really lay your heart's concern before Him, or have times of praise where you've read the Word, you start to understand the Word, it starts to come off the page, and you start to express your appreciation and love for God, what He did in Christ, and all of these things have meaning. You know, so many people, you talk to them and you ask them about the Bible and they just get this blank look on their face or they'll just tell you, you know, I try to read it and I, I don't understand it. Oh, okay, so now there's something missing. They're, they're faithful. They always go to church. But you ask them a theological question. I asked a guy one time, he was the son of the pastor, son of a preacher. And I asked him, you know, can you explain to me what salvation is? He couldn't do it. He couldn't articulate what salvation means. This is not a person who, and not to stand in judgment, I mean, I was trying to share the gospel with him, uh, but, you know, this is not a person who understands God, understands Christ, understands what God was doing. And he may have certain facts about those things, but he can't really, he couldn't really articulate them. A person who understands gets it. And even though all people are not the same. We're not all gifted in the same way. Not all people are given to be very articulate or a teacher. Uh, there is a, a basic understanding of God that a person should be able to express if they're really a child of God. You ask them a question and you get a, 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 a clear answer that's biblical mm. and accurately so, according to the Bible, is that making sense? Yeah, well, and, and just kind of to, to springboard off of that, one of the the perennial discussions that we have in America, particularly out here in Texas where I live, is you know, our, do we is our religion really Christianity or is it football? You know, uh, I'm an attorney, and I recall going to an, an event with numerous other attorneys. 
and it was I was I was new in um, in Texas, and I was I was treated to the unique experience of watching two very very senior attorneys. I mean, these men had graduated from law school at least three decades prior to this event, and you know, law school came after undergrad, and yet they were discussing the the teams the teams for their, they went to different uh, colleges and they knew an inordinate amount of things about those those teams their teams and they were discussing the different statistics of favorite players and and playbooks and how things would stack up against one another and all of this stuff and i just remember thinking the the time investment, the love investment that these men have put into this, and and then somebody, I'm kind of watching in shock, right? And someone that that knew that I wasn't from Texas come, came up to me and made that quip about, well, you know, in Texas, you know, we're all Christians here, but the real religion is football, as I think the the you know how it got phrased. And one of the things I, I've I've read your book, I loved your book. One of the things that struck me is that it's it's. I mean, there's there's so much good scripture and so much good theology in it, but it doesn't read like a book of theology. It reads like a sports biography. It reads like someone who is, you know, if you've ever read one of those books about Michael Jordan or Jerry Rice or whatever, and, and someone is arguing that this person is the greatest of all time, this person in this category did better than anyone else. Let's look at the statistics. Let's look at the style. Let's look at the outcome. Let's look at the impact. And that's how your book reads to me. I mean, you you start off, ironically, with the idea of the Son of God as the servant. And, and you set up a number of biblical categories, and then you just go on, you proceed to show how, based on the testimony of Scripture, Christ was the greatest of all time. And, and one of the reasons why we we study things like that one of the reasons why it's important to know what's what these you know these these characteristics of these men who were exceptional in like sports is so that people can imitate them right and and i mean that's that's really what those sports biographies are they're they're placed in the inspirational section you know for for people to to understand that there's something here worth loving there's something here worth imitating and I, 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 so I found it a uniquely compelling thing to, to read. You, you set up these biblical categories, servant, ruler, you know, sacrifice, all these different things. And then you just show how Christ was the greatest of all time. And, and in a way that I found compelling and memorable and, and that it presented the information in, in such a way that I, I, could, I could see myself being a Jesus f- fanboy. You know, I could see myself being someone that's like, well, you just need to understand Christ. You think you, you think that this person was good at this? Christ was better at the things that mattered at the, you know, in the biblical categories, the way that, that, that God says this is how we should measure a man. Christ was the greatest of all time. Uh, and, and, and that's something that is I, I would agree with you know kind of the stuff that we've said before that that's not something I've read very often and 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 never in a Christian bookstore <laughs> so how did you 
how did you come to the the understanding that this was what you wanted to write um, and just kind of th- that that unique approach how did how did that come to you okay again really good questions day uh greg um you know life as a christian should have in it those milestones when you you learn from jesus from the trials you go through you know people have all kinds of different uh, standards that they set for pastors and preachers and uh and we live in in an academic age i mean there's no doubt about it we you know we've gone from blue bloods and royalties uh, ruling our countries to a democracy where anybody can rise and a lot of weight is put on what people know academically uh honestly you you can know much academically and um and not have really much going on in your heart. And, uh, you know, when you, when you talk about how it reads, it reads personal, uh, because God has become very personal to me. Um, in, in, in many hard instant cir- circumstances. And I tried to take some of the most important lessons that I learned Search the scripture, know who Jesus is, uh, who and how I wanted to express those lessons that I learned. Now you're not going to really hear much about those lessons because the book isn't about me. The book is about Christ and who He is, and 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 it's a character study, and that character study is what has come across to me in in the trials. I mean. You know, we can say, you know, God loves everybody and we can write poems like Footprints in the Sand and, and all of this stuff. Um, but when it really gets down to a, at a personal level, you know, does Jesus really love me? Why does Jesus love me? And how does that work out in, in different ways? So, uh, that's what I set out to do. Um, what, how Jesus has has touched me in in a myriad of ways, and I, I could have certainly didn't exhaust them with this book, um, not even close. But I, I hope that's answering your question. Is uh, or are you looking for more? Well, I mean, I think one of the one of the the perennial things that we wonder in. In Christianity, and really, I mean, you, you look through the Bible, the people of God have always kind of been wondering, well, where did we go wrong? Where, you know, why, why, why aren't things working out the way that we had hoped? Why aren't we seeing the blessings? Why aren't we seeing, you know, things going uh, in, a, in a positive direction? And you know, you know, there's there's lies, damn lies, and statistics, right? But and 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 there's there's some people running around that will tell you that our world is better off now than it was 50 years ago, and maybe maybe that's true in some materialistic sense. But I I, I just see so much an understanding among people that that at, at, in terms of the things that the bible cares about and the things that that as christians we should care about in terms of freedom from sin in terms of 
the success in evangelizing, uh, forget the success in evangelizing other people, our ability to accurately communicate to our children the truths of the scripture and to have them have something they can hold on to that will last against the, the, the wiles, the trials and temptations of the world. The church is not doing well in those categories. And we have, you know, an, an innumerable amount of systems and growth plans and programs and business models. And there's, I'm, uh, there's consultants running around, you know, church consultants that'll help you get your marketing plan in order and release the clever videos. It'll bring people in the doors and keep the doors on and the lights on and the bank accounts full. Um, and my, my sense is that this is all just kind of rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic, that there's something much deeper, much more fundamental that we've gotten wrong. And, and I, I, I think that the, the, the approach of the Jesus you need to, or maybe not the approach of the Jesus you need to know, but the idea that the approach you took in, in your book was so rare, I think that's an incredible problem. And, and, and I mean, you, you've, you've told me a little bit about your experiences in terms of trying to market this book, and you, you've been told basically that your book doesn't fit. Your book isn't the kind of book that, that belongs in, uh, in Christian bookstores. And, you know, it's not the kind of book that, that churches are, are interested in. Uh, at least not at an institutional level. I mean, you know, I loved your book. I thought it was great. I guess I'm just not uh, not uh, educated enough to to appreciate all all the all the reasons why people don't like it. But you know, where what what is it that we've gotten wrong? What's what's the reason why we don't see more character studies like this? Why why are we losing the fight? Well, um, let me say this. First of all, I know the person you're talking about, and he's not representative of, you know, it depends on who you talk to about the book, like you love the book. The editors who edited the book love the book. Um, that's That was big as far as that it's readable and, you know, but because an editor loves it and an editor can read it doesn't mean that they're a specific reader will like it and like the style of it and so forth. Which that thing in itself is kind of, you know, it's like listening to a preacher. Some people focus so hard on style that they miss the message. And I think that's like part of the problem. You know, you ask me questions about, you know, the way things are in church and not all churches and they're not all the same and we're not going to categorize and be biased in, in that way. But but the fact is, when, when a, we're called in Romans 1 to live by faith. The just, those who are justified by Jesus Christ through faith in him, are to live by faith. It's not impossible for even a true believer to avoid that and to go through his life through self-effort, self-motivation, self-preservation, a whole host of ways that we estrange ourselves from the living God. Or 
we can take the approach that God sets before us and trust him, put our faith in him. Somebody gets sick, you get sick, you lose your job, whatever the trial is, what, what's the means? You know, do we get aggravated? Do we complain? Do we wonder how we're going to get through this and never really take the time to to plead with God? I mean, I can remember once in back in the 90s, it was just a hard, hard year for me. And it was not uncommon for me to, which one night uh, very distinctly stands out in my mind, I started praying at 10 o'clock at night and I didn't get done until 7.30 in the morning. And it an event went very quickly. And my heart was just pumping the whole time with concerns and and I was bringing them to the throne. Mm. The church, you showed me the church where the man maybe doesn't have the greatest sheepskin hanging on the ro- on the wall, but he knows how to pray. Whatever goes on in that church, I can tell you right now, God's going to be pleased. Maybe not all of it, but he's going to be pleased. Why? Because it, it's a matter of faith. It's and I, I don't we I have nothing against being intellectual or scholarly and studying the word. I mean that's primo and and that's primary. And a person should be in the word and he should have the the scriptures running through his veins. I, I am not saying otherwise, but there's a difference between that type of love for God that drives us to know Him through knowing His written word, the the Bible, and and being scholarly. Mm. You know how I feel about that, and I don't want to get into it now. But, you know, there is a big difference, and it cripples people. Mm -hmm. We are told not to love the world, and the world right now is enamored with factual information in a person's head. Mm -hmm. Now, that's great for a doctor, because when you get taken care of by a doctor, you want to know that he knows what's going on. Uh, But that's not all there is to life. Mm. In in life, you got to have a heart. And the heart has to come from God. Hmm. You know, one of the things that we've talked about is how churches pick their leadership and the way that, you know, in, in, in modern America, there's such a emphasis on on hiring processes that, that, as far as we can tell, seem just purely derived from from the world. So you set up a committee, you set standards, you, you collect a bunch of pieces of paper we call resumes, and you, and you, you look at, before you ever interview anybody, you look over the resumes and you check all your boxes. Did they go to uh, sufficiently, did they, get, they, they go to a school? Did they, did they stay long enough in the school? Did they get a sufficiently high level of education? Was it the right kind of school? Was it the right kind of degree? You know, do we like the, the positions that they've taken have they built a ministry before you know have they have they run the the corporate aspect of of an American church before which you know I mean to be fair that these these aren't insignificant questions particularly the corporate aspect I mean I've, I, I'm an attorney I'm a, a small business attorney and we also do some nonprofit work and, and let me tell you when you when you build one of these great big machines um, you put that in the hands of somebody that doesn't know how to make uh, the the corporate structure function. It's, it's like putting somebody in in 
you know, in the driver's seat of a front loader. You know, there, there's a whole bunch of buttons and levers and gears that you could you could mess with. And if you don't know what they're doing, you can really mess up, Not you know, whatever you're working on and the machine and you, you know, if you don't know what you're doing sufficiently, right? Um, it's a complicated thing to, to deal with. And at the same time, the Jesus you need to know is such a simple concept, right? And the, the, there's not to say that, that, that these aren't necessarily good things. Maybe they're, they're, they're good in certain times and certain places and certain contexts, but none of these things are scriptural imperatives. You know, I assure you they did not have 501c3 nonprofits in the first century. That was not a thing <laughs> when the Romans were, were going from house to house, taking Christians out and putting them on sticks and setting them on fire. They did not ask if you had your you know nonprofit paperwork in order. Um, so it's not it's not a biblically it's not a biblical imperative. And I think that in many ways we have forgotten what the biblical imperatives are. So what, what would you say the biblical imperatives are for a leader, for a writer, for someone that's that's going to kind of stand up and say, this is what God's word says? You know, in answering that, this is this is coming from me, Joe Durso. My perspective, my understanding. You can look probably ask, you know, thirty five hundred pastors across the country. And you'll get similar answers from some and different answers from others and ex- distinctly different from others. And so I'm just saying this as everyone knows. It's, it's coming from me. And that is, without we don't want to go too deep into this today, but you know the church as it is today is very institutionalized. Um, in the Bible, it's more organic. It's family-driven, so to speak. It's, it's not personality-driven. It's fellowship-driven. You know, they, they met from house to house. They loved one another. The New Testament drips with that. Um, the leaders, except for the Apostle Paul, were common men. You can read that by... Uh, uh, John MacArthur wrote about the uh, the apostles and who they were, and they were extremely common men. And that's a, a biblical principle that not many mighty, not many noble, not many wise, you know, God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. He gets great glory when he takes Israel and he delivers them through the sea when they have no possibility of fighting back the Egyptians. They would have been slaughtered before them. But God intervened and he did a miracle. The church today should take those lessons to heart and and look at themselves. This is the hardest thing to do as an individual Christian and as a church, to take a, an honest look at ourselves. And say, what's right here? What's wrong here? What needs to be changed? How am I not really conforming to the image of God at this point in my life? How much have I conformed? I mean, you know, I don't mean to tell people they need to be so introspective and like, and then they dropped into a black hole and disappeared because of sorrow over who we are. I'm not, I'm not, you know, suggesting that anyone do that. But at the same time, to close 
and, and, and have a blind eye to, to what we are, who we are, how we're behaving, in light of Scripture, which tells us that we ought to be conformed to the image of Christ. I mean, that's the whole plan. Let us make man in our image. When you get down to the Bible, you can break it down to some basic elements, and this is a big one. And for the church or the individual that goes through their life and doesn't take a look and say, who am I right now, with the possibility that they're going to have to make some hard changes, well, they're letting the best in life just pass them by. They're letting Christ pass them by. And it's from that vantage point that I wrote the book. Let's stop. Let's take a look at who Jesus is. Are we conformed to this image? Mm. I have to say not completely, which is going to be true of all of us. But are we trying to be? Yeah, well, and again, you know, I I go back to the the sports metaphor. You know, you don't have to persuade sports fans to come over to your house to watch a game. You know, if people want to, if people want to watch, people want to, they're, they're motivated internally because they have a love for for the game. They have a love for what they for what they see, for they have an appreciation for it. They're they're willing to spend time and study because of their love. And you know, people are like, well how do you how do you get that love? Well it's it's that's that's the work of regeneration, right? That's and it's a miracle, sure. It's a miracle to, to feel that way, to have that passion inside of you for the word, for the Bible. But I think that a lot of times we have people who they get saved and they start, and then you know, kind of the 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 fears and worries. I think in America we are just we are just chock full of fears and worries, and and things that choke out the life of the scriptures and the and the love and the passion that we have. Because you know, the truth is, is that to to be like Christ is is setting yourself up for a life of immense sacrifice. You know, Christ lived a selfless life incredibly selfless nothing his whole life he had a purpose and that purpose was not to enjoy himself though i think he did enjoy himself i think he had fun i think he laughed and loved and all of those things but he he had he had a grand purpose and he was willing to sacrifice for that. Ultimately, he was willing to sacrifice everything. That's the story of the gospel. That's why we we should tell stories about the man Jesus Christ. Why should we should remember his name and celebrate him? And and you know, he he was more than than just a man, but he was also he was also a man like us, tested as we are. And and that's one of the things that gives us hope to imitate him is because he came down to show us how to live a particular kind of life. And we can't do it on our own, but if we don't know what it is we're trying to imitate in the beginning, we're never going to get there, right? Uh, if you if you, if you you make no plans, you can be assured that you will never get anywhere, right? Um, and, and I think that this 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 book and this perspective that you have is is a, a real necessary thing for people. So, so let me add this about what you're saying. And when you were touching on sacrifice, that's a huge topic in the church. And you know, I've once heard it said, "The entrance into heaven will cost you nothing; the uh, annual dues will cost you everything." 
And I, I think that's that's very accurate. And the point is, there, without being too critical, I mean, I think anyone who's tried to be in ministry or has been in ministry, as I have somewhat, um, you or been in just in church for a long time, you, there are people that show their head every once in a while, and they're concerned about ruling. Not so much about serving, but about, you know, getting up to head and calling the shots and doing this or that. And then when it comes to sacrifice for the kingdom, uh, not so much. And there's people that would just happy to sit on the sidelines and, again, sacrifice. And it, it does a person's heart so well, as is my own, when you try and you seek people to disciple. And I haven't had to seek for, like, the last 12 years. I'm just in a place and God is the one who arranges the places for various reasons, and, mm. and where people there are people who are just want to grow. Yeah, um, they're confused about life, and they seek people out like me, and they come alongside and will you know will you disciple me? And it's a great thing because you know we're all just people and we all have shortcomings. But there's a difference between a man who wants to be disciples, wants to call, uh, be conformed to the image of Christ, and a, and a person who's shall we say, half-hearted. I mean, I got guys that call me every week um, who aren't even in my church anymore, used to be here, and, you know, they have this or that going on, and it's like one time I didn't call, uh, and I I usually call, but, like, I didn't call for, like, three weeks, and he called me. And he said, do you realize you haven't called me in three weeks? Like, (laughs) I have to call. (laughs) And uh, that's... I mean, that just takes the discipler's heart and just enlarges it with with joy because here here's this person who wants to love Jesus is what mm. it comes down to. So would you, I mean, kind of if, if let's assume that, that I was a, a pastor or not even just a pastor, just a, a, a Christian man, a faithful man who wanted to be better at discipling, how would you have me... Um, what 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 would you use? How would you encourage me to to read your book? And what what would you tell me to expect to find there? Well, there's kind of two questions there, but uh, you know, people, uh, God bless them. You know, as they seek to, how do you win souls to Christ? And they'll usually come up with some specific outline and. Uh, which is good, and it's good to be able to stay on track, and people will take you off the gospel, and there's there's good places for those things. But uh, there's no substitute for going back to an intimate relationship with Christ, knowing him, because the gospel is knowing Jesus Christ. And this is a key verse in the book. It's a key verse for this podcast. You know, uh, and this is eternal life, Jesus said, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And, and John seventeen three, That they might know you, not know about you, not know facts, but know the person of Christ. So if a person wants to disciple others, if he wants to evangelize, he has to know Jesus. A person's not going to have eternal life without an an intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to have eternal life. You, The life now takes up residence in your heart. So recently, you know, someone I disciple at the church is uh, 80-year-old father 
uh, he, he, his desire is love of his first dad, and he wants to know that he knows Christ. And, you know, in the, in the course of things, God must be working in his life because he wants to know Christ. And I, I gave him my book, and he started, he's like, I think he's like halfway through it now, and he's eating it up. And he made the statement to me, you know, in all the years, and I'm going to mention a denomination now, you know, that I've been in the Catholic Church, uh, which at 80 years old, you can imagine, he's been there a long time. He a said, I time. never saw I never <laughs> saw Jesus this way. Hmm. Well, well, there you have it. You know, man who's, who knows how many times he's gone to service, gone to Mass, and he never saw Jesus the way he needed to hmm. for salvation. You know, now he cries, now he asks questions, now he finds hope. You know, it's all going on after all those years. Mm. It's not about the church, certainly not about the institution. Uh, it's about intimacy. Wow, I think that's a, that's a wonderful, a wonderful way to conclude our time in this episode. Uh, you know, I, I think that there is a real need for people to have a clear vision of what they're aiming at. And I think that that your book is a great place to start. The Jesus You Need to Know by Joe Durso. It's available on Amazon and I'm sure in other places, but you know, you can you can get get the book on Kindle and and that's where I got it and it was it was a great read. It was well formatted all that stuff. So I think it's we have to we have to be confident that God is going to correct his church, that God is going to provide the words of life. And I think that in, in a small way, I'm you know, not, not, not fully and not finally, but, but I think your book is one of those ways that, that God is, is telling his church, this is what you're missing. This is part of what you're missing about me. And I hope that uh, all our listeners take a, take a chance and check the book out. So Thanks for listening. Yeah. I do want to say to you, Greg, thank you for your love for me. Thank you for being a, a faithful brother in the Lord. And thank you for your love for God. I just I want to share that in this episode. Well, thank you, Joe. And we will, uh, in the next episode, we will dive right into the kind of the, the beginning parts. And we'll, we'll uh, get going. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.